Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning is Advanced Sunday. Those of you that are from faith or accustomed to being here know what we mean by that. Advanced Sunday is once a month we take an opportunity to uh, abbreviate the normal parts of our service to allow for some time at the end of it to have our men uh, have a specific audience and our ladies to have a specific audience. So we have some things planned for our men and our ladies. Um, what we do is we ask our ladies to stay behind here in the uh, auditorium and we ask our men to go out in the hub. And uh, we'll try to do that at the bottom of the hour as close to it as we can. So I have the Herculean task of talk, tackling a subject that should probably take weeks in about the next 25 minutes and to survive it without having a lot of things thrown at me. So that's my task. What's yours this morning? Anywho, so we have been for the last several months diving in and out of a topic that um, is, is brought to us by uh, Hebrews 13.4. Hebrews 13.4 simply says that marriage is to be held in honor among all. And so we've been trying to think about the last couple of times we've talked about this. What are the ways in which God is calling us as people individually, as couples, and as a church united under the banner of Jesus Christ? How are we to conduct ourselves that really does uh, honor marriage above all things? And so uh, we have that difficult task of being reminded that marriage is a positive, that it is a good thing. Most of what we say this morning is going to have to be contrasted to the uh, the mantra, if you will, of culture, which is going to have direct arguments and uh, snide remarks about almost anything the Word of God says about marriage. So we'll chalk that up. We'll talk about it a little bit. But for the most part, in the time that we have, we're going to head right to God's Word to figure out what we need to do about this. But if we're being honest, marriage itself, if you look at it in culture, it is not a positive. It is not the thing that people welcome. It's for the few lucky ones who happen to find their soulmate. It's for the few who figured out to crack the code, how to do the 50-50 thing and make it all work. Um, maybe it's for the few who uh, somebody you know needs a crutch. They need that other support in life and stuff. But it's not really looked at as the thing that, that society should be built on. It's not looked at as the thing that could be a blessing or could be a great thing, even if it's not working out perfectly. But fortunately for you and me that we have instructions from the designer of that institution and we, if we are children of God, we have a supernatural presence and power to conduct ourselves in marriage that isn't, uh, doesn't bow to the whims of culture. So marriage is a positive. Marriage is the thing that we as a church, we as couples, we as individuals should continue to uphold. I think you would know that looking a scan over culture, you'd understand that that isn't really the case out there. So we talked last month specifically, actually for the last couple of months, that God is working on a canvas. He is painting as the artist. He is painting his masterpiece that marriage is one woman for one man for the rest of their lives. And that it wasn't just a thing that you and I would enjoy and benefit from. It isn't just a, a creation that he said, by the way, one of the side benefits of life is you're going to be able to enjoy marriage. He put a lot into this artwork. 
and and Paul helps us round out part of the the point of this artwork was that it would it would be an image a reflection of who God is for his bride who is you and me the church so God put a lot of emphasis on this artwork rather than it just being a thing for us to look at and appreciate take it or leave it he said, no, no, it means a lot to me. So if you're going to engage and if you're going to enter into it, I have very specific ways in which I would want you to do that so that the image of me, all that I've laid down for my bride, all that I expect for the response from my bride does not get tarnished. Marriage is God's picture. Last month, we started seeing that one half of that painting is the role of the husband in the marriage. And so in a, in a hopefully encouraging way, but also in a very between the eyes kind of way, we talked about what some of the elements of being a godly husband are so that we can see what did God intend when he was painting this picture. Gentlemen, you are challenged that as head of the house, which the, the scripture clearly says is that in the role of marriage that you are head, that the temptation is to see that as a position of authority. Sweet, I get the boss's gig. God just made me the boss in the house. So I get to say how I like things, when I want things, and, and I'm going to see it through, right? No. God paints a different picture. He says that head of the house is the one who carries the most responsibility. When you and I, husbands and wives, start to understand what kind of responsibility is being required of that role, we start to treat it with what I would call a godly fear, this respect of the situation to go, wow, I'm glad that if you're not the husband, I'm glad that's not all on my shoulders. Or if you are the husband, to say, wow, I've really got to look into this. What does it mean for me to be the most responsible? I can't play around. This is not my painting. This belongs to a different artist. As savior in this picture, which we see clearly uh, correlated for us through the person of Jesus Christ, the husband is to be the most sacrificial. Philippians 2 gave us a great portrait of this, if you will, because it describes for us that Jesus, even though he was the son of God, making him equal with God, didn't find that thing, that title, a thing to be held on to or made a big deal of at the moment because there was a job to do. And we can infer from the language in there, it's almost as though a ship was moving in a certain direction and Jesus has every right to be the captain of that ship because of his title and his position, but instead said, this ship needs to move in a direction. I'm going below deck and I'm rowing with the rowers. I'm getting it there. So even the savior in this relationship as men are called to be is going to be the most sacrificial and as lover in the house which is not a title we typically give to the man because women are naturally good at the things that appear more lovely to us in emotions and affection and all those things that it just has a tendency to be really colored out by the presence of women in our lives but that as the one who's uh, responsible the most responsible for the temperature of love in the house that is a responsibility given to the man he is to be the most giving. A very tall order, especially when we guys feel very hamstrung by the fact that that doesn't come naturally to me. And this, my friends, is why, why the Lord needed to command the husband to love his wife. Because we don't wake up every day feeling like a walking Hallmark card. 
It's not really the thing that we, that we naturally move towards, but God has called us to be that, to be so giving towards our wives' immediate needs, perhaps even her long-term goals as they support the call of the Lord in her life in a way that promotes a reciprocal love in the household. Simply put, does she want to see you come home at the end of the day? Do the kids celebrate your presence and your existence in the house? That's an indicator of whether or not you are fostering a reciprocal love in your relationships. As the family sees that you are willing to be the most responsible and the most sacrificial in giving towards those immediate needs, you don't have to be the funnest person in the world. Your jokes don't always have to land. Dad jokes are acceptable and often encouraged. It doesn't mean you have to be great at those things when they see the heart behind it. Because so often, if I could speak on behalf of the ladies, which is a huge risk. I've been married to one for a while and I was raised by one. So I, I'm going to venture out here that oftentimes it's the effort, not the exact performance that matters. To see a husband trying to be this guy as unto the Lord is all that matters for most wives. They don't expect or require perfection. But in case you are, ladies, we turn the, to the other side of the portrait to talk to you this morning. I joked with a few men this morning that I was preaching for them. So I was going to preach to their wives this morning, in which they were kind of like, please don't do that. <laughs> it's going to get uncomfortable at home. And it's going to be your fault. All right. It's very difficult to manage the pendulum swing of culture, as we already talked about. Culture, if you haven't noticed, has a tendency to exaggerate the point they're trying to make. They don't know how to moderate. We should really fix this thing about society. It becomes the all or nothing. Everyone wants to create a lot of support. It everyone's it's taboo to go against it. The pendulum swing, if you haven't noticed now, is is very much, at least in our entertainment culture and often in our news and, and advertisement, is swung to the side of women empowerment. That now that has become the taboo thing. If you, if you hint at all towards being against the empowerment of women right now, then you're on the outs to where Hollywood has been exposed for their hypocrisy because they're saying all the right things. And then behind closed doors, hashtag me, or it's not behind closed doors. It's right out for everyone to see. Hashtag me too says, no, though, these guys are a bunch of losers too. And they go, well, I guess we have to admit to some of that. But we said all the right things. We produced all the right films that said that women are empowered. We put out, what is it, Captain Marvel now, where it's all about the power of women. We've done that. And it says, yeah, but it's not coming from your heart. You're, you're just feeling the, the weight of the pendulum going way up here. Hollywood can't produce a commercial, if you haven't noticed, unless it's for like a Land Rover or Mercedes, sort of one of the, the things that guys pay attention to. Hollywood can't produce a commercial that shows the man in the driver's seat of a car anymore. Have you noticed that? If you haven't, look for it. I plan to be right in this. I will be supported. So that is the idea. You're going to look and you see for the practical cars or for anything like that, husband's going to be in the passenger seat because we don't want to be on record for having looked like a woman can't drive a car. As though we're all thinking that. Same thing with laundry. You're not going to see a woman doing the, using uh, the detergent that's being advertised anymore. And so we can't go into those stereotypical roles because as a culture, we have to do everything on the poster that says we support women's empowerment. But the question that we have to ask as biblically informed believers is, how are they backing that up? And to what satisfying results? How is it paying off for us as a society? Is it working? 
My heart goes out to our women and our men, because for the last decade or so, we as a church have been really trying to make a concentrated effort to reaching our men in a way that goes against culture because their target is moving all over the place. They're not supposed to be this. They're not supposed to think this, not supposed to say that. A lot of it is in a negative kind of reducing the role of, of men in society. And so we want to dial into that and say that the Lord has more for you. But if we're being honest, the target for women is moving all over the place too. So many of our Bible studies and our small groups, our mom's groups and different things like that here at Faith are trying to spend the time to talk to our ladies and say, you don't have to chase the whole have it all movement that's out there. The world is saying, ladies, you can have it all. You can you can be sexy when you want to, or you can tell a man to stop looking when you want to. You can go to work when you want to. You can stay home when you want to. You can uh, be the boss if you want to, and don't let anybody call you bossy because you are the boss. And all these kinds of statements. And then women, normal women, are saying, I don't know how to chase all this. There's a part of me in my heart that I want to be content with less. I don't feel the, I don't feel the urgency to be everything that Hollywood's telling me I can be. And the problem is, is Hollywood doesn't really have a path to that. They're just telling you what the ideal should be. And they can't back it up. So when we come to the scriptures and talk about what's a wife's role in marriage and Paul and Peter start throwing words out like submit in 2019 or be subject to or obey and I'm going to one-up this. This is the verse we're not supposed to talk about as pastors, okay? It's not unless you want to get in real hot, hot, uh, hot water. But try this on this afternoon, ladies, and see if this doesn't turn your husband into a monster. Um, Peter even says that you should go so far as to say, like Sarah did, that her husband, she referred to him as, as Lord. Right? Who wouldn't want to preach this message? I'm seeing 300 faces looking at me right now going, you really wanted to say that, didn't you? No, I didn't. But if you go to 1 Peter 3, you're going to be like, oh, I noticed he skipped that part. So let's turn it into a joke instead. And the Holy Spirit can do in your heart what he wants to with that later on. So I'd be curious to hear some reports, those of you ladies that are daring enough to try that. Let me know how that goes. If I see a bunch of men strutting in here next week. I'd be like, oh, you got the Lord title, huh? <laughs> what changes the instruction in this for us, what, what starts to bed down our offense of these offensive titles is when we understand the culture that this instruction was given. You know, culturally speaking, this wasn't a real leap for the women of that day. The reason why is because women were already considered, I, I, I think sometimes saying second class is a compliment for how they were being treated then. They were property. They were often the object of men's satisfaction. So if that satisfaction was like, eh, they could move on. Not so much in the Jewish culture as much as it was, especially like in Roman culture, it was quite common to have 10, 12, 15, 20, whatever divorces under someone's belt because they could say, hey, I'm keep trading up until I find the one that makes me happy. So now you hear instruction like that. If you're a woman in that culture and Paul just comes in and says, wives, submit to your husband. You're like, uh, duh, kind of doing that. If you hadn't noticed, we have to walk on real thin ice because if we mess up, we're on the outs. And in our society, there isn't a lot of uh, aspect out there for women like women like me to flourish. So I'm counting on being supportive. I'm counting on being submissive. I'm counting on being acceptable or pleasant to my husband. 
But you see, that's only one side of the painting. What was unheard of was for someone like uh, God's agents like Paul and Peter to come in and say, before I get to you, ladies, hey, guys, take a second and honor her. (laughs) Understand that she's my daughter. This whole kicking around thing that's been going on in society, that is not after my own heart. So guys, what you're going to do is you're going to sacrifice for her. You're going to honor her. Peter's going to say in, in, uh, in first Peter chapter three, he's going to say, you treat her like the most valuable vase, if you will, in your house and stop putting her on the edge of the table where she could teeter, fall off and smash because she's fragile that way. Slide her back, put the best lighting on her, honor her as a vessel of the Lord Jesus Christ, honor her as a fellow heir. Of the, of, of, of God's blessings and of his plans for your lives. So, so it was radical and it was revolutionary to have someone come in and tell all these people that had a custom about them where it was like, you know, they don't, their testimony doesn't count. Their voice doesn't matter. All of a sudden God's like saying, no. That's not going to be that way anymore. As you trace God's pattern from the Old Testament, uh, from the Old Testament forward, you're always going to see that in his steep law, in his high um, standards, there's always going to be an opening for the oppressed. God always has a heart for the oppressed and they weren't more oppressed than they were in Paul's time or in Peter's time. Michael Reeves, an author of a book called Delighting the Trinity, says it this way. No surprise then that Christianity should have been so especially attractive to women who made up so many of the early converts. Christianity decried those life-threatening ancient abortion procedures that were just commonplace and acceptable. It refused to ignore the infidelity of husbands as paganism did. In Christianity, widows would be and were supported by the church. They were even welcomed as fellow workers in the gospel. In Christianity, women were valued. If you know the story of after Jesus rose from the dead, who did he go to see? Who did he allow to see him first in God's great plan? It was the testimony of women that would come forward. And in that day and age, it didn't count. Jesus showed them value by saying, I want you to look on my resurrected body first. So before we get into what it means to be a godly wife, we have to understand that the context was given so that freedom could be found. That God's heart in this wasn't to squash a woman's strength or her beauty, but instead give it a path towards flourishing. And we often don't give the Lord credit with that because we've listened to culture say, don't accept that. You're nobody's footstool. That's not what God intended either. He intended for a, for, for a wife to be a fitting helper. In Genesis 2.18, it says that it's not good for man to be alone, as we've heard, so I will make him a helper suitable for him. So what do we mean by this? And we've got to move through each of these points fairly quickly. I apologize for that. But I'm going to go back to a great theologian that's going to help us paint this picture. His name is Rocky Balboa. And uh, Rocky in Rocky one was having this conversation with Adrian. If I remember correctly, the details are a little fuzzy for me, but but Adrian was very meek, very shy, very uh, introvert, down on herself. She didn't get why the Italian stallion had interest in her. And he and he just adequately and very profoundly put, well, Adrian, the way I look at it is, see, I got gaps. You know what, Adrian? Yo, you know what? You got gaps. This is great or what? I can't get my hand. When we get together, there ain't no gaps. It's brilliant. 
It's profound. He's smarter than he sounds, I'm telling you. A fitting helper is one who is complementary, one who completes or corresponds to. She makes up what is lacking, and I want to warn you, please. We talked about that culture laughs at marriage. The husband is adult. He can't figure his way out of a paper bag. So most women are already geared up on that point. They're like, yeah. I have to make up for what's lacking. As sisters in the Lord, as followers and daughters of Christ, please do not give in to that mantra that your man can't figure anything out. Don't belittle his intelligence because it doesn't match the intelligence you have in other areas. That God has wired him differently and built him differently. Things of the heart, the stuff that shows up as what we consider, uh, classically consider love. Yeah, he's going to look like, yeah, I don't know how to do this very well. Don't buy into that. Yes, you are here to make up what is lacking. And if that sounds belittling to you, if that sounds beneath you, understand the psalm says at least 14 times that that's God's role in the life of his children too. So we can't even look at that as a demeaning term because you are living out the call and the path that God has for his own people to to support them, to complete them, to correspond to them. A fitting helper is one who offers companionship. She is her husband's best friend. I don't know if you remember those days or not. It wasn't so hard when we first got together to be each other's best friend. Please hear this, both husbands and wives, that that is a place that God has said you must have. When that gets out of balance, all kinds of sinful and weird things can start happening. Well, I'm not much of a hunter. I don't like, I'm not saying you got to do everything together. But don't farm out that role of best friend to somebody outside your marriage. If you don't have that now, find ways to fight for that. Respectfully, patiently, but don't accept we're just on different pages. We don't agree anymore. Become one another's best friend. A fitting helper provides emotional support. The husband is careful to look to his wife for emotional satisfaction. A wife is careful to be available for that. Again, guys, emotions, we don't talk about this much. But all it takes is for a wife to kind of just be cold and shut down on that. There's going to be some sweet talking girl who only knows five minutes of your husband's life. It's like, I really like him. He's sweet. And the wife is at home going, wait a second, I'm the one that does, picks up the laundry. I deal with all of his other stuff and everything. It's easy for her to love him. She sees him for five minutes at the convenience store or in the office. Because when we shut down the emotional connection and we're not available in that regard, oftentimes, and husbands, this is not an excuse, but oftentimes husbands go and look for that elsewhere. They may not admit they want that, but it is there. Intellectual assistance is provided by the fitting helper. Resist the jokes. Don't fill them in. We've already scolded you about this now. But wives, please hear this. This is, this is to combat this notion of submission means don't speak. That somehow women don't have intelligence that speaks into a situation and all those kind of archaic views. That you are to be your husband's best source of counsel. Husbands, let your wife speak into your life. Let her inform you of what the Lord's doing in her mind and heart too. It will change uh, the path that you're on in great ways. Physical intimacy, this probably should go without saying, but we can't risk anything these days, that wives to be available to your husband is providing for him the only guilt-free outlet in that area. That physical intimacy is an important part of a relationship together. And again, if we had time or if this was a conference, we could go into all kinds of uncomfortable detail, but we won't. 
parental strength. Let me just, I, I have so much I want to say and I've got to move quickly. I'm sorry, but parental strength. Please understand we know that mom is going to be the most powerful influencer in the house. That's the way it's going to go. If you doubt me, watch what an NFL player says after he scores a touchdown or when the camera gets on him. It's not, hey, dad, you're the best. Thanks for helping me change a tire. It's love you, mom. She's going to get all the attention that way. And that's great. You want her to have the attention. But moms, please understand that you can support your husband's role in your kids lives by building him up, point him to situations that he might not see naturally, because that's not really his wheelhouse. So point him in that you have an opportunity here to be a good dad or to be a hero in your kid's life. I'm going to take one for the team. and I'm going to let you be in the spotlight. Those kinds of things can happen. Mom's going to get that credit anyway. So Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 says this as we move on. We read some of this last month. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So please understand that God is calling wives to a very specific role, but but all of you non-wives in the audience understand we're all called to this in various ways. If we're to back up to verse 21, we're going to see that what Paul says to the believers in general before he gets specific to the wives is he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So it's not a woman's lot to be submissive. It is our lot to be submissive, even the Lord Jesus Christ submissive to the will of his father. But Paul is saying specifically for marriage to work, the buck needs to stop somewhere. So wives are called to that particular role. So what it doesn't mean, because we have to spend some time on this in our day and age, it doesn't mean that women submit to all men. We've said Paul got specific to marriage. Wives be subject to your own husband's. Women are not inferior to men because that would be like saying Jesus was inferior to those that he was serving. He's not inferior to us. He's king of kings and lord of lords, but he still placed himself under rank of in order to achieve the mission. It also does not mean that men are infallible. We know this. It doesn't mean that God's trying to make a point. Once you just figure out they're smarter than you, it doesn't mean any of that kind of thing. We've already covered that it doesn't mean that women can't think or speak, but that you are your husband's best source of counsel. You should find your timing. You should find your words to weigh in to his, uh, to his thinking and to his life. It also doesn't mean that you submit only when you agree. That would blow the definition of submission for the most part. Chip Ingram, a pastor, says this in one of his conferences on marriage. He says, the true test of submission is when you don't agree. Isn't that true of all of us? We have bosses. We have laws that we have to submit to. That so much of the test of that is even when we do it, when we don't agree. It also doesn't mean that the wife has no influence. What it is, is it's sharpening that influence. It's making that influence more effective. I cannot tell you how many times I've had couples say to me, we're just, you know, we, we can't make each other happy. We're not on the same page. And the wife says, well, it's not for a lack of information. I tell him all the time what he should be doing. He just doesn't do it. Thank you for laughing at that because it means that you kind of expect what I'm going to say next, that he doesn't need a mom. Or at least another one. 
He didn't marry another mom. So to tell him all the time, to always remind him what, what Peter's saying in 1 Peter 3 is he's trying to give uh, women a more effective way of getting through to what is often a stubborn-headed husband. Peter even says if you are dealing with one who's rebellious, he's even outside of the will of God, deal with him by your behavior, by your respectful behavior, that your words are not going to land with him. That's not quite how I wired him. And if his heart is already in rebellion, then he's probably going to resist it anyway. Now, those of you husbands that feel like, you know what? I am trying to chase the Lord's will for my life. I am trying to stay open. You're going to be the one that says, please speak up. I need to hear what you have to say. That's the ideal that God is trying to design in our marriage. It's not that you never speak, but the husband should also be seeking that guidance and that influence. God has designed a more powerful approach for wives. What it means is that submission is an act of the will, arranging yourself in rank under, not because you're forced to, because you see, you go, I get it. This is how we move forward. You know, I see lots of marriages playing out and I see several here at Faith so often that seem to have a really good balance of this. And the, the irony I find in this is that a lot of the ones that I would love to bring out on stage and say, just do things like them are typically made up of a pretty clear headed man and also a very clear headed, stronger personality woman. That, that my perfect example for you wouldn't be there's a boss in the house and this girl that goes, I can't see anything. He's just so powerful. <laughs> that there isn't that imbalance. But oftentimes I, I see, uh, some, some guy's wives and I'm like, okay, she's sharp. She's really, she's diligent. She's got it all together. But in her marriage, she says, I'm following him. Why? Because the Lord has placed that responsibility on his shoulders. And it's not a knock on my femininity that I'm supporting that. It's an attitude towards God. And sometimes, ladies, the only thing that you can do when he's being pig-headed or bull-headed is you put Jesus' face on his shoulders and you say, the Lord said that I'm to submit to him as unto the Lord. I really don't think I can do this for him right now. He doesn't seem deserving of it. But Christ has called me to it. I'm doing it for him. Don't tell him that out loud. That doesn't help the argument. Can't even stand you right now. It's a good thing all I see is Jesus' face on you. It's a normal action in life. We all have to submit to something. The buck stops somewhere, everywhere. Everyone has somebody they've got to answer to finally. This is also a gift of love to your husband. But here's what's very important to hear. That this submission is regulated by biblical authority. We are no strangers to understand that when a guy gets full of himself, when there's ego involved and everything, that he can start demanding things of his wife that you say, the Lord would not be pleased if I went along with this. Please understand that God gives you an open window to say, this is your way of escape. He's calling you into things that violate your, your, your conscience as a daughter of Jesus Christ. You cannot go give in just for, just for submission's sake. But please understand that that way of escape is not to be used so quickly that everything that feels a little ungodly, I don't really like that. I'm not really about that. So I'm just going to rebel. I'm just going to shut him off because he's not doing Christianity the way I think we should do it. 
That's not what that's a license for. It's when it's clear violation of what God would have you to do as his daughter. You say, I'm sorry, I love you, honey, and I really pray for the best outcome in our lives, but I cannot do that and face my Lord. That's always given to us in scripture. Lastly, and very quickly here, God has called wives to show reverence to their husband. Paul sums up his, his part in, in Ephesians 5.33. He says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. To respect is to show reverence. Doesn't mean bow and take off his shoes whenever he comes in the house. Figurative reverence, looking for occasion to show that reverence. Regard him, notice him. Instead of comparing him to every other man around that's doing things exactly like you wish your husband would do, notice him, honor him. You know, there are things that all of us do that are respectable. There's uh, things that all of us do that are not respectable. But what the tendency of the sinful flesh is, is to look at those things that are violations, those things that are weaknesses, and expose them, think you are just such a loser because you do this, instead of acknowledging some of the things he does well. And that's the path that God has given for every wife to find things in their husband to respect, to honor, to esteem, to show him that love, even to admire exceedingly. Please remember that you are not, we say this phrase a lot, you're not his Holy Spirit. Find things to be thankful for and tell him. Be satisfied despite some of the circumstances that you find yourself in. Be creative in how to get out of them, understandably so. But be joyful despite even some of the emotions you feel. Joy is that deep down confidence in what the Lord's going to do as a result. And please, please, please encourage him when he fails. We all give each other so much ammunition to just bury us with. And instead, instead of taking that opportunity, I told you this would go this way. Why didn't you listen to me in the first place? Find a way to say, you know what? Sometimes I make some of those decisions too and they blow up in my face. We'll figure this out. You don't understand what kind of wind in the sails action that is for your husband. We act like big tough guys. We don't cry at movies, all this kind of thing. But you want to see a guy probably privately behind closed doors turn into a puddle of mush is let him hear you honor him to somebody else. You build him up kind of like within earshot. And he's, I didn't know she thought that about me. Anytime I hear some wife saying that about a husband, I'll go and say, do you know what she just said about you? Because I know they don't always say it in front of them. And it's a great thing for a man to hear. I want to play a quick commercial. It's 30 seconds long, and then we're going to wrap it up. And I'm hoping some of the point here is being made. But I want to show kind of a real-life scenario. This commercial, I think, plays it out perfectly. We're not talking about all these major violations. We're not talking about this wide pendulum swing where we're always at each other's throats and everything. I'm talking about God cares about the littlest details of our marriage, that if we practice this in the most subtle ways, it's going to flourish in much bigger ways. And I think this commercial plays out the subtle dangers of wives not showing respect to their husbands. So we're going to watch this quick commercial from Car Gurus, and we're going to make a couple of points. I'm going to figure out what car to get now. Where to find the best deal? Why don't I help? What's that? Car Gurus. Color? Silver. Car Gurus? Low miles, two grand below market value, five-star dealer rating. Ooh, I'm beat. Do it your way, then. 
Cargurus. Find great deals from top-rated dealers near you at Cargurus.com. All right, there's my free advertisement for car gurus. Don't do car gurus. We have very God-honoring, reputable car dealers in this church. Go see them instead. Uh, listen, so here's the point. Right up until 75% of that commercial was two people trying to solve the same problem. She saw this guy's stuck. He needs some help, right? He was overdoing it. In her intelligence and in her support to the situation, she walked in and she says, very casually, very quietly, why don't I help? Did he overreact to that? Be like, who do you think you are? I figured this out. He's like, car gurus? Really? Really? He's interested? And then she goes, whew, I'm beat. You moron. That's what she was saying. You know, like, how did it take you that long to get to the conclusion that me as a woman figured out in three seconds? And that sometimes is real life, isn't it, guys? And we're going, oh, why did you? You should have seen me trying to replace wiper blades yesterday. My wife was in the car watching all this happen in the parking lot of Advanced Auto. Jeremiah, please tell your buddy at Advanced Auto he killed it for me because I was like lost. The instructions were this big. There were all these clips and everything. I've done a million wiper blades. But I'm like, I cannot figure this out. Why is she in the car watching me do this this time? <laughs> Two weeks ago, Taylor's little old Subaru needed new wiper blades. Took me three seconds. No one was looking. <laughs> so I'm fighting with these things. My third trip into Advance Auto after I'd returned the wrong blades, after I'd finally got him to come out and everything, this dude put him on in two seconds. And I was going to give my credit, my wife credit this service because she was just like, oh yeah, I saw those instructions. They were a bear. That was ridiculous, you know, and they kind of were, but she was playing the perfect role, supporting me and everything. Alana knows that when we got together a little bit later in the afternoon, she was like, I was laughing all the time I was doing. I was like, I was going to give you positive marks in my sermon on submission and respect and honor, but you blew it. So can all tell Chris Small that she's got a long way to go. All right. Would you please stand? Let's close our time in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much, God, for bringing us together. Thank you, Lord for helping us understand these very difficult truths in ways that really do relate to our everyday. God, you're so patient with us. You should be able to just say, do this, and we do it, but we don't. So you work on us through so many different angles and so many examples. So thank you, Lord, for the, for the pictures that you give us to follow. Lord, honor uh, your message today in us doing what you've called us to do. Lord, may we be vessels to carry this out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. God bless you. Ladies, please stick around. Gentlemen, join us out in the hub.